0: Can you guys hear me okay? Well, good morning, everyone. Awesome to worship together. I'm Brent Dodge. I'm one of the lead pastors at uh, Revive Church here in Missoula, and I'm honored to be here again. You know, coming back the second time does say something, doesn't it? And so I am really glad to be here. I just feel honored to uh, have the opportunity to speak this morning, and more so to give Ian and his family just a little reprieve understanding that you know what it is to preach week in and week out I preach a couple times a year and I tell you what it just knocks you out you get, you get through 30 minutes or whatever and it's like man the rest of the day you're just going to watch football or something and I'm, su- I'm super glad to be here I was trying to figure out how to kick it off this morning prayed Holy Spirit what do I say and he gave me two words on my heart go Grizz yeah <laughs> Those are the words that I was given. We're we're glad you're here this morning. Bless all of you. Up in Alaska, back in the early 80s when my wife Liz and I got married at 19, we shortly after moved into a small log cabin that I'd built under 1,000 square feet. And it got even tighter in there. It was a tight little spot, but it got tighter when her brother John had to move in for about three months. And in the middle of it, he brings home this tiny little one-month-old lab puppy. Cutest thing. I mean, you would look at this thing and look at his eyes, and uh, what a joy it was to have that dog with us. But um, he he was small. He was playful. He was lovable. Uh, Pleading eyes Floppy ears And a perpetual tail wag And you look at those eyes His eyes would say When I'd bring in a steak off the barbecue His eye would be like You don't need to split that with your young sweet bride I'll suck that thing down right now And he would He ate like a horse Like some kind of uh, Mutant, carnivorous, Alaskan Wolf Lab puppy mix he could eat it was crazy and uh why i set that big bowl of leftovers for him i don't know and i forgot until i didn't and when i went running back in it was gone completely gone and i gently reached down to grab him and i opened the door and i was going to set him down and it was then that i realized he was wider than he was long I don't know why he had to eat so much. Why couldn't he stop when he was satisfied? Why did he have to keep eating until he was wider and long? And how much is too much when it comes to things like, like eating food, uh, for example, right? Like when too much makes you feel wider than long. And Thanksgiving's coming, right? You're gonna be sitting there, you would have had all these hors d'oeuvres, the shrimp cocktail. You'd be sitting there after dinner just going, wow, you're watching football, all those commercials about food and cheese and beer, or whatever. And you're like, man, I'm feeling wider than long. And then you hear him say, hey, dessert's ready. You want pumpkin or pecan pie? And you're like, ooh, I'll have both. And can I have two scoops of ice cream? (laughs) Or how about when we take other desires in life to excess to the point that they just no longer satisfy? Eat and be satisfied, not like mutant carnivorous puppy. (laughs) Too bad the Israelites didn't take this advice when they were blessed every morning with this manna, this bread-like substance that God provided them for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness And that's our topic this morning As we pick up in Exodus 15 and 16 The story where God's provision for the Israelites Outweighed their belly aching tantrums And so we're going to go into uh, Exodus 15 I've got to figure out how this thing works Right there, here we go You know, the the story about the manna gets overshadowed sometimes by what happened just previous, right? The the splitting of the Red Sea. The Israelites had been in captivity for 430 years in Egypt. God finally comes through with Moses and Aaron and and the pleading and the plagues. And now all of a sudden they're, they're rushed through a split sea and they walked across on dry land. And it was then that Pharaoh said, what are we thinking? Let's go after them. And so Pharaoh and his army start to go through the split sea. The Israelites come out on the other side. The sea closes. And they saw God's power that day. And so in Exodus 15, most of the chapters, the victory song that Moses had for God, for for his power to get them across safely. And then, of course, Miriam and her gals, they get together with the tambourines and they have their song and dance. Because God came through. And so in Exodus 15, to 25 and verse 27, let's pick up there. They grumbled in Marah. So then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. That's always a good thing to be certain where you are. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. When we have concerns, we bring them to God. We've got an option. We can grumble like the Israelites. We can be like Moses and cry out, bring our concerns before the Lord. And the Lord responded. He showed him a log. Moses chucks this log in the water, and the water became Sweet. So after traveling roughly a week and about thirty one miles, they come to Mara. A, a mere week and thirty one miles, and the sounds of the victory songs disintegrated into a belly aching tantrum, grumbling because they were thirsty. And you know the rest of the story. Well, from Mara they head to a place called Elim. Elim is a tropical paradise. It's an oasis with 12 springs and 70 palms. It's like like going glamping. Glamorous camping, like we're out at Paws Up, right? Hey, it's like a glorified KOA. Over here's the the tennis and the the mini golf. Over here's the, the showers and laundry. They had it made, right? And you wonder, what's God doing Blessing this band of belly acres, not only blessing them, taking them to this oasis, the Bible says they were encamped by the water, massive amounts of water. you, you didn't get the water in Mars until we made it sweet. we're going to blow you away despite your grumbling. you're going to be encamped by the water. Talk about a heart change for the worse. It wasn't long. Previous to that, when in Exodus 14.31, really just days earlier, the Bible says Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. And they feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord. They feared and they believed. And then we pick up in Exodus 16.1. Seven days, 31 miles into it, that disintegrated into belly aching. And so they go, uh, Exodus 16, one we we'll, we'll pick up there a little bit. They leave Elam, this tropical paradise. They go into the wilderness of sin. And you're like, yeah, they deserve that. Well, it's not a moral state. The wilderness of sin is actually a geographical area between Elam and Mount Sinai. It's not a moral state. And so it's been about a month now. They've been on the road since the Passover and escape from Egypt. And so just a word on the Passover. After all these plagues, the big one was the passing over of the angel of death. And the and the requirement was that you would place blood on the doorframe of the house and if the angel of death saw that, he would thus pass over and not take the firstborn. And that's why there was such a cry in Egypt because they didn't do that. And they lost their firstborn. There was a great cry from Egypt. But right after that, they make their escape the next day across the Red Sea where we're picking up now in Exodus 16, 2 and 3. I forgot to give you that one, sorry. You got it. I quoted it. Exodus 16, 2 to 3. Um, we're in the, we're in the uh, wilderness of sin, this geographical area, and they grumbled some more. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots, man, and we ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Man, you talk about drama. The swooning. Would that we have died. I know we were slaves back there. We, we, were, we, we could see our ribs, man. That We could see the whips across our backs. But man, the meat pots. <laughs> mm, smell that. It's like Thanksgiving. And oh, the fresh, baked, carb load. We had it made as slaves, right? Ingrates, grumblers, man, they were rescued through the Passover, guarded by the the pillar of cloud from behind as they worked their way across the Red Sea and then shown the dead bodies of the Egyptian army on the far side of the Red Sea. Oh, and then to drink sweet water in Mara and to stay at a five-star resort in Elam among the 70 swaying palms and the 12 bubbling springs. Belly acres. Grumblers. Any grumblers here? No, because they don't meet here. They, they're like downtown, <laughs> down in the Bitterroot. They don't meet here. Grumbling. Dissatisfaction with what is. It's the background drone of a discontented heart. And on a continuum, if we put grumbling here, and we have satisfaction here, where are we on this continuum? And so as far as man is concerned, the Israelites had a choice, as we're going to see. They could gather and eat God's way and be satisfied, or distrust, demand, and hoard and be miserable. Why not simply eat and be satisfied? Have you grumbled lately? Or better yet, when do you tend to grumble? There's some ingredients that can go into that that can lead us to want to grumble, such as unmet expectations. And I think I've got a slide for that too. Unmet expectations. I didn't sign up for this. Or entitlement, like the Israelites, they felt entitled. You drug us out in the wilderness. We have a right to eat, right? Otherwise, we're gonna grumble. Or anxiety man, life is tough. Life's getting risky. It's getting out of control. I have a tendency to want to grumble. And then there's escape. I'm dissatisfied with what is. I wanna opt out of reality. I wanna go back. To the meat pots, man. I want to go back. I want to get out. I want to escape back to Egypt, which by the way, would basically be volunteering for slavery. I don't like what's going on. I'm going to opt out. I'm going to go take something I shouldn't take. Look at something I shouldn't look at. Whatever the case is, we go back to a potential voluntary slavery. The Israelites grumbling had some of these ingredients as well. Uh, You know, food out there was scarce. They couldn't rely on the provisions. They had no control over it, and they longed instead to go back. And yet God, in their grumbling, he blesses them again and again, this time by raining bread from heaven, where we pick up in Exodus 16, 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they gather, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And so despite the grumbling, God comes through again with with manna, which he did for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. The people were to gather a day's portion. They would bring that in, and no matter what they gathered, it became what's called an omer. It's like we have a measuring cup, right? Oh, there's there's two cups or one cup. Theirs was an omer, and it was about two quarts. And the side-by-side miracle here, not just the miracle of manna coming down, but the side-by-side, the ancillary miracle was it didn't matter what you gathered. When you brought it in, it was an omer. It didn't matter if you were, you know, picking manna for your 400-pound friend Bubba. You bring in what you brought in. What was it? It was an omer. It didn't matter if you were gathering for Aunt Susie that's 90 pounds. You bring it in with that little bit that you brought for her. That miracle was it was an omer. Remember that word, Omer. They'd gather six days a week, okay? On Friday, they would gather, and what they would bring in would actually be doubled, so they'd have enough for the Sabbath the next day, that Saturday Sabbath, that day of rest. Manna, what is it? You're absolutely right. Manna, what is it? That's the literal Hebrew meaning of manna. What is it? In fact, Exodus 16, 15 says, when the Israelites first saw it, they said, they asked. What is it? And so if we put that into Americanese, we wouldn't ask, what is it? We'd say, What it is. <laughs> well, what is it? It's a bread like substance with the flavor of honey wafers and nuts and for some reason i just can't get the vision out of my mind of a steamroller rolling over a honey nut cheerio (laughs) (laughs) but biblically exodus 1631 says it was like coriander seed and the coriander plant is much like um i'm gonna forget the name of it cilantro Very much the same, except the seed. So you have this coriander seed, the Bible says, in Exodus 16.31. It was like coriander seed, white, with a taste like wafers with honey. Eat and be satisfied. But those who were fearful, those who didn't trust in the Lord, they'd say, I want to gather more than an omer. I mean, what if the manna doesn't show up the next day? I better hoard even though Moses said not to have any leftovers. Exodus 16, 19. Gather and eat God's way or distrust, demand, and hoard and be miserable. Man, it's painful to eat till you're wider than you are long. It's about taking what we need and being satisfied. In this case, no leftovers. They failed that test. Exodus 20 or 16:20 says, but they wouldn't listen to Moses. They distrusted, demanded, and hoarded, and the outcome was miserable. Worms and stink. You kept kept a little bit extra for the next day, right? You open the lid. What do you got? Wiggly worms and stank. (laughs) Moses was right. Don't Don't get yourself leftovers. So let's move on to this next heading, which is, I'm going the wrong way. Look at that. This thing is really temperamental. Satisfaction through surplus? Like what if we just had a little more, right? Well, how much, how much is needed to be satisfied? Like wh- whether it's food or drink or fun or, or recreation, how much is enough? How much, how much pizza does it take to be satisfied? Like the guy that goes into the pizza parlor and he says, I want a large pizza. And the parlor man says, well, do you want me to cut that into six or eight slices? And you think for a minute, you say, you better make it six. I don't think I could eat eight. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you guys laughed at that. <laughs> how much fun, how much fun do you need? I went to Disneyland when I was 50 No, I take that back. I went to Disneyland 50 years ago, and I went with a friend of mine whose dad was a firefighter, and it was firefighters night. That's all they were going to have there were the firefighters and their families and friends. And I show up with my buddy, and there's hardly anybody there. It's like, man, did they have a fire somewhere? (laughs) We had the whole place to ourselves, and we'd run from ride to ride to ride, maybe one person in front of us. And then we hit pirates the caribbean and man we got through that one we're like back in we went six seven eight times to the point i'm like enough pirates of the caribbean enough enough when is enough enough how much surplus well let me ask it this way how much tp toilet paper do you need right there was a title fight in australia right at the outset of the pandemic and there weren't two guys in the MMA cage. There were three women going after it in a Kmart, man, like beating each other up and scratching, man, drawing blood. You know what they were fighting over? The last cart in a teepee. What is it with stockpiling supplies as though a surplus will see us through? Having extra isn't necessarily bad, but is our faith sometimes misplaced? Do we place more trust in items that might help us in the future? Visualize the upstairs of my dusty barn. Or do we trust in the God of the universe who has promised and shown us time and again that he will take care of us? Eat and be satisfied. Not like Alaskan mutant puppy. When earlier the Israelites realized God's power and his care for them, they feared and believed the Lord. We looked at that verse, Exodus 14, 31. Yet now they distrusted him and demanded manna on their terms. They wanted bread, and they wanted it now. They became the veritable lion tamer with the whip and the stool, right? And they're gonna gonna whip God into shape. God, I want this, I want that. Do this for me, do that. And they manipulate the relationship. And so rather than trying to tame God or to grumble, I want to encourage us to take time to remember all of God's power and provision and then write them down. I did this exercise as I was journaling, and I came up with nine instances where God swept in and showered his care and provision over me. I wrote them down. I want you to do the same to showcase how God repeatedly brings his power and provision in a life. And then crank up the lyrics of Josh Baldwin's song, Evidence. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. So why should I fear and grumble? The evidence is here. List them out and remember. Our daily bread sound familiar yeah the model prayer jesus disciples come teach us to pray jesus says do it this way our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name holy is your name it goes on to say give us our daily bread in that prayer that model prayer you see god used their grumbling to reveal something about the kind of relationship he desired would they trust him afresh for daily bread? Would they chase God or just bread? And they wanted the bread on their terms, but God's terms were quite personal. I want you to remember every. I want you to remember me every day, and every time you're hungry, the Israelites would have preferred a manna machine in order to secure their perpetual satisfaction without any need for God or without any relationship with God. Daily bread. Eat and be satisfied one day at a time. How often did the manna show up? Daily. Right, I know six days a week, right? Day six, the Friday, they'd get twice as much for the Sabbath. But it was a daily occurrence how often? Daily. Remember the side-by-side miracle? It didn't matter what you gathered. You bring it in, and you were satisfied. This is a picture of Jesus. He brings sustenance to us at, at the level we need. It's Jesus bringing us our, our bread, our daily bread, and he is that. He is our provision, our everything. The one who satisfies our hunger and quenches our thirst and I might add, in abundance. The Bible says he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. So too often, we seek satisfaction and we do so apart from God. And that's not to say we shouldn't have some alternative desires, but we need to recognize that nothing and no one else can completely quench and satisfy our longings, save for Jesus, the bread of life. John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Boom! Satisfied. Boom! Quenched. Our daily bread. Jesus Truly satisfies our hunger and quenches our thirst. He is our daily bread. Eat and be satisfied. Now, on a final note, you guys were looking for that, weren't you? Costco. You're like, man, I got to get to Costco. Hang on. <laughs> Jesus taught in Matthew 5 and 6. Listen to this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. On this continuum from, from grumbling to satisfaction, where are you on the continuum? Are you chasing God or just bread? Are you seeking surplus or true satisfaction in the bread of life? Let's hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied so in closing we're going to do a bit of a close then we're going to take communion and I'll have a few more words but in closing here you ever wondered what brings God satisfaction what he desires what are those things that that he desires I know from 2 Peter 3 9 he has this desire that no one would perish but that all would come to repentance Because God wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to spend eternity in heaven with him. I'm sure there's other desires that he has. That's one. And what about satisfaction? What what brings God satisfaction? You ever wondered? Well, I'm going to give you the long answer. So please, bear with me. It won't take long, but this is the long answer. You okay with that? It has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. It was that gold-plated chest. You guys remember from, well, some of you probably don't. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? This gold-plated chest with this lid, with these angelic forms, with these, uh, I think I got a picture of you, with the uh, wings that would touch on the top, okay? The, the Ark of the Covenant. It was actually built while they wandered this 40-year period of time in the wilderness, the lid of the ark between these two angelic forms. If you look down from those to the the lid, that area is significant. It's called the mercy seat. It's the place where God resided and where the high priest would annually sprinkle the blood of the covenant and the atoning sacrifice for his sins and then the sins of the people. That is until Jesus died on the cross and sprinkled his blood on the actual, the real mercy seat in heaven, according to the book of Hebrews. Jesus' blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. And so by doing so, he gives us 24, 365 access to forgiveness of sin. Any guess on what the literal name is of the mercy seat? It means... The place of satisfaction. The place where God is satisfied that the payment for the penalty of sin has been paid. God is satisfied as as a Christian, as Christians, you being a Christian, God has dealt with your sin and has atoned for it. Do you believe that? Or do you wonder if your sins are somehow bigger than most? And that your sin requires more As though Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough As though his blood is inadequate That perhaps your sins demand a surplus Of Jesus' blood Right? Like more is better Like how much does it take? Like a five gallon bucket? How much do you need? How about this? How about Just a touch of his blood. That's the amount of blood the Israelites were to place on the door frames of their homes on the night of the Passover, and doing so would protect their firstborn. Just a touch. They didn't need to layer it on. Exodus twelve twenty-two basically talks about they'd, they'd have this basin and they'd take the blood of the lamb and it would be in the basin. And they were to take a hyssop branch, which is kind of like a fern leaf that you'd put in much like a little paintbrush. And the Bible says they were to touch the blood to the doorframe. Touch. Touch. Do you believe it? that just a touch of Jesus' blood on the mercy seat, and God is satisfied. Amen? Amen. Guys are going to be passing around the elements because we're going we're to have a meal together. We're going to take communion together, and there's a reason for this, as you'll see. But as they're passing it out, I thought what I would do is at least give you a hint as to what may have happened to the alaskan mutant carnivore puppy (laughs) i'm not kidding he was he was only there for a little while my brother-in-law was only there for like three months he brings this dog the last thing i remember about this puppy was that moment when i kicked open the door and very carefully and gently placed him on the front porch I don't remember hide nor hair of him after that. And I, I literally talked to my brother-in-law about it. Wh- whatever happened to that dog? And he never remembered either. I don't know if that was the end of him. <laughs> but it does say something, huh? Don't heat till you're, you know, wider than long. <laughs> Watch out for Thanksgiving. It's coming up. Wow. You guys getting, getting your elements and stuff? We're going to get our elements, these, uh, the, the bread and the juice. Thank you and uh, we'll continue here for just a little bit and then we'll take this together and I'll be praying over the bread and the juice as we take it together thank you brother David so I know we're still passing but let's, let's move in you guys will get your goods manna and, and communion interestingly the idea of remembering manna and Jesus You see, there's one more thing about the ark. And as I typed out the words, I had a typo. And the words came out as one word, super significant. My new word. And it is. It's super significant what we're about to talk about as it relates to this ark of the covenant. Super significant. In Hebrews 9, 3 and 4, the Bible says... That there were three items kept with the ark. You may remember those. Number one, the two tablets of stone that God inscribed the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai, those tablets, the ones that weren't broken, are in, according to First Kings. They are in the ark. The other two, I'm not sure if they're, they're with or they're adjacent, but they are with. Ark of the Covenant. You remember what the second one was? Aaron's rod that bloomed or budded. It was a sign from God that that the Levitical priesthood would run through Aaronic line. Pretty significant. Two tablets of stone, Ten Commandments. Pretty significant. Do you remember what the third? You remember the mystery item? It was a golden pot or a golden urn you know what was in it an omer of manna i'm like what's a what's an omer of manna doing with these other this is a top three man the stones the staff the omer in the golden pot because god commanded moses in exodus 1632 Let an omer of manna be kept throughout the generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. The top three, it made the top three. It's significant. It's super significant. God wanted them and their future generations to see the manna and to remember how he provided their daily bread to remember God's provision. And it's a lot like taking communion, isn't it? We recall and remember Jesus. Just as the Israelites would look upon the pot of manna and remember all of God's power and provision during their 40 years in the wilderness. See and remember eat be satisfied and so as we take communion together here in just a moment let's recall Jesus words to his disciples at the last supper do this to remember me the bread symbolizes his broken body the juice his shed blood his body was broken His flesh was torn. The scourging whips, as they would whip him 39 times, would wrap around the sides of his back where his muscles and skin were being torn, probably ripping his face and neck, his arms, his chest, his legs, his hips. And the nails pierced his hands and feet. His body was broken. His flesh was torn. See the stripes upon his back. See the nail-scarred hands and feet. See and remember. The juice symbolizes Jesus' blood. And the tiny little cup is a reminder that it takes but a touch of Jesus' blood and our Heavenly Father is satisfied. Satisfied that the penalty for our sin has been paid and giving us perpetual access to forgiveness of sin. Amen? A mere touch of Jesus' blood on the mercy seat. And God is satisfied. So as we take this communion now, Pray over it momentarily. Let's see and remember. Let's eat and be satisfied. So if you would, take your wafer. The bread, gluten-free probably, that represents the torn lash of Jesus torn flesh, remember, see, and remember. Do this, Jesus says, in remembrance of me. So Father, we, we take this communion together and right now we ask that you would bless this, this bread that we would see Jesus lifted up. We'd see and remember that he allowed his body to be broken that we would have access to you that we would have healing through you as Isaiah talks about that you substituted yourself on the cross you took on our loss you took on our, our sin our transgression but you also took on our health for us you, you took on anything that could go wrong and this is your body and you substituted it with health. Sozo, it's called. You, you gave us complete health and wellness. And we, we stand on that promise. We we look at this and we take this bread representing that flesh that was torn on our behalf. And we just give you thanks now as we take it together as a family of believers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tiny little cup. But a touch. A touch. We don't need a surplus of Jesus' blood. One touch. So all the Israelites were to place on the, the door frame. Jesus has gone well beyond one touch. He emptied himself for us. His blood drained out. For us. That in fact we do have a surplus of Jesus' blood sprinkled on the real mercy seat in heaven. We have full access to forgiveness of sins. And I pray every one of you believes that and that we walk in that from here forward that we walk we have that body of jesus christ in us the body that was torn the blood that was shed and it only takes a touch guys he's given us way more than touch he sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat let's let's pray over the juice so father again as we continue in this uh, meal together uh remembering jesus we we want to see and remember what what it was like for him to be scourged 39 times, to have a crown of thorns stuck on his head and then beaten over the head with, with rods, punched in the face, whipped to a Pope, a bloody Pope, an unrecognizable person. We see and we remember him. We watch him as he carries that cross on the Via Dolorosa, on the way to Golgotha. They laid him down, they pinned him to a tree, nails through his hands and his feet. We see that, God. We see and we remember. And we give you thanks, God, for the the fact that you allowed Jesus to come and, and fulfill that part of your plan to allow his body broken, allow his shed blood did it in abundance jesus you gave everything for us you who are our everything our daily bread jesus the bread of life you gave your all and we pray we would in response give our all to you as we now take this juice we ask that you bless this now and bless us as we take it in jesus name we pray amen